I don't know exactly, obviously, what, what your thing was. It might be a, your parents to you. It might have been friends. It might be um, some sort of a transcendent moment where you experience the love of God. It might be from a child. Uh, when I think about this question for myself, uh, Emily and I are friends with four other couples, and um, so the five, of, the five couples of us, uh, we get together once a year and uh, for a weekend. And when we're together, we tell each other our kind of how life has been for the year, and, uh, and then we pray together. And then we eat and do all kinds of things, other things. But uh, when we, in those moments, like we're usually in a living room somewhere at, at some house up in St. Augustine or in Tennessee or somewhere, and, and we share our lives with each other. And these are people that have known us, um, well, especially with Emily, they're really, I got, to, I got engrafted into these friends. Um, but she went to college with them. Um, and actually, this past October, we just met for the 22nd year in a row. Um, so they've known us a long time, and they are just for us. Like, when we describe things that are going on in our lives, um, they are such our advocate, and they, like, they care about us, and they know the history of our families or the history of, um, you know, different things that have happened in our lives, whether it's jobs or whatever it is. And, like, even this year, we, we didn't have anything really hard to share. We just shared normal things. But there have been times when we've had to share about Emily's mom passing away or um, just a, a miscarriage or other really hard things. But even in, a, even in this simple moment, like, when they pray for us, I was just overwhelmed by how much they love me and Emily. And, um, and it was, it's just, you know, listening to them pray for us, it's just this receiving. Like, I just had to receive it and take it. Um, on Tuesday, uh, Emily was out of town all week. So on Tuesday, I had to go pick up Leighton from school. And I... After school, I got so sick. I, it, it was something I ate, because like in four hours, I was totally fine. But for those four hours, it was not good. And um, so I somehow made, make it home in the car, and I just go straight into, the, straight into our room and, uh, and lie down. And I sort of like open one eye, and I notice that Leighton has like turned off the light, and he's gotten a bucket, <laughs> and, and he put it next to the bed, and he was, like, real quiet and closed the door. And there was just something about that little thing and that just felt so tender to me. Like, he was taking care of me, you know, and, and I just had to receive it. To be fair, he was probably just wanting to close the door, and he was going to go eat, like, seven ice cream sandwiches and be on YouTube for an hour. <laughs> But nonetheless, I received it as love. And it was just tangible. In, in the story um, that we read, it says that 
After dinner, um, Jesus poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Um, and Diane did a great job of explaining that. Uh, obviously, that is not what we do. It's a strange custom for us. Uh, but I love the physicality of it. It's so tangible, right? Like, it's, a, it's, it's not just a word, but it's, a, it's an action, and it's... I don't know if you've ever done a foot washing before. It's really awkward, and it's, like, it's really intimate, too. Like, somebody, like, touching your feet, you don't really know where to look, you know, it's... Um, but Jesus doesn't, he doesn't shy away from that. It's, it's this physical intimacy that he enters into. Um, I think sometimes when we talk about Jesus, God, faith, it, it, it all feels very spiritual. We need to remember Jesus was God in the flesh, and it, it was physical. It was in the body. Um, and that's where he was demonstrating love, was physically and tangibly. And then Peter's response, he says, no, you will never wash my feet. You know, and it, it made me think, why do we sometimes resist receiving? Why do we sometimes resist being loved? I remember as a kid, I would go out to lunch or something with my mom and my grandmother, and at the end, they would pay, and they would argue over who was going to pay. Not like, you should pay, but like, no, Joyce, I have this. I, this I'm paying. No, 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 mother. I'm, I'm. And like, they're arguing over who gets to pay. As a little kid, I was like, I'll tell you what, mom, let grandmom pay, and I'll take your money, and we'll call it a day. Like, it was, I was all about receiving. <clears throat> Made sense. Um, but why do we do that? Like, why do we resist receiving? Uh, I was a strange child in that uh, I listened to sermons when I was little. Um, I'm sure I was only in fifth grade. Uh, and I remember Pastor Hartman at First United Methodist Church in uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, I remember him giving a sermon entitled, It is Better to Receive Than to Give. And obviously, Jesus says in Scripture, it is better to give than to receive. But he, he preached this whole sermon about the importance of receiving first. So why doesn't Peter receive? Why do we sometimes resist receiving? And I think it has to do with receiving. It's giving up control. It's, it's surrender. It's, it's acknowledging our dependency on the giver. Um, when we are the ones receiving... We experience it when, we, when we're sick, when our health is not good, and we're dependent on somebody else. If, if we're the one giving, then we're in control. Um, 
you know, and people can use that to manipulate, like, well, I gave that, so you should do this. Um, but giving up that control is receiving. It's humility. And so Peter says, no. Like, no, you are not washing my feet. And Jesus answers, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Jesus says no to Peter's no. Peter says, no, I don't want this love. And, and Jesus says, no, no, I say yes to you. I love you, and I mean it. You can't say, I'm saying no to your no. <laughs> because I said yes, and I mean it. When we, when we look at this, like Jesus washing them, um, it's often interpreted, and I think rightly so, as, as, a, as a symbol of forgiveness, you know, and um, washing somebody clean. I think in the context of this actual scripture, though, it begins with the greatest, I, I just love these words at the very beginning. It says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This is an act of love. It's a physical, tangible act of love. And Jesus says, you can't, you can't give that back. <laughs> you just have to receive it. I love you. Deal with it. <laughs> I love that, right? Um, a theologian who I really like, he wrote, he wrote this. He says, We can find God as the one who in the depths of his being is in fact none other than the one who loves us. It's a good definition of who God is. And he says, This love seeks and creates relationship by its own free will and favor unconditioned by any merit or claim in us, the beloved, but also unhindered by any unworthiness and opposition in us. God is able, on the contrary, to overcome all unworthiness and all opposition. And it is in this distinctive characteristic that we recognize the divine love of God. I, I only have one sermon, and I preach the same sermon every time I get up here, and it's simply this, that God, the Father, through Jesus Christ, in the Holy Spirit, loves us. And that love is not up to you. That's it. That, that, that's my sermon every time. God loves you, and it's not up to you. Are you seeking God? Good news. He already found you. Are you struggling with faith? Good news. God's faithfulness to you is way more important. Are we struggling with being obedient and hearing good news? Christ has been obedient on your behalf. Are we not loving perfectly? Good news. 
God has loved you from the beginning, and he gives it to you completely, and it's not up to you. Now, certainly God asks us to participate in all of those things, and we are called into that, and that's good news too. But God loves us, and it's not up to us. It just is. And if we resist it, he says, no, too bad. Love you anyway. I want to switch to, uh, and we didn't read this part, but down in verse 25, or 23, you're not checking, doesn't matter. <laughs> Let's call it verse 74. He says, <clears throat> um, his, so after the meal, uh, so we're talking about Peter, well, John was there also, and this is coming from the Gospel of John, and it says, one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. And then uh, he asked him a question. But this is the point I want you to hear, is that John is writing this, and he says, one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's how he described himself. He's that he is the disciple whom Jesus loved. That is his primary identifier. Which makes me think, what is my primary identifier? To why is my main identity that I am David, the one whom Jesus loves? Like, that's a pretty good identifier. Hope talked a little bit about this but two weeks ago, I think. Um, I am not, first and foremost... An American. I am David, the disciple whom Jesus loved. I am not first and foremost a Democrat or a Republican. I am not first and foremost a Presbyterian, a teacher, a husband, a dad. That is not my primary identifier. I am David, whom Jesus loves. And we together are a community whom Jesus loves. And if we let anything, our nationality, our political leanings, our whatever, to come before those, then Jesus says no to that. (laughs) We are a community loved by Christ. Now let's figure that out and work that out in tangible ways, but that is our primary identifier. Because John knew himself to be a disciple whom Jesus loved, he was such a good receiver. And because he was, let me tell you some things about John. Because he knew he was loved, because he knew that he was loved first, he was the first to the cross. Because John knew that he was loved first, he was the first of the 12 disciples to get to the tomb. Because he knew he was loved first, he was the first of the 12 disciples to believe. Because he knew he was loved first, he was the first to recognize Jesus. He was the first to follow. 
If we receive, then it changes everything. Um, somebody I respect talks about the art of being loved and then the effects of being loved. But we've got to master the art of being loved, of receiving. Listen, there is so much I don't understand about faith and God, and it, it, it is sometimes a complete mystery, and there are times when it makes absolutely no sense to me. But I have never in my whole life been able to escape the underlying and overwhelming sense that God loves me. And uh, that covers a multitude of doubts. It covers a multitude of struggles. It covers a multitude of my own inadequacy, unworthiness, or opposition. Because I am loved. And at the end of the day, right? That's, 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 that's all that matters. And I just pray that we receive it. I pray that we become good receivers. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for being the one who loves us. I pray that we would receive it. And Father, I pray that we would be able to sense it in ways that we can understand. I pray for those in the room who do not feel it, who do not sense it, who feel like you are distant and hidden. Father, make yourself known. Father, help us again and again to receive the love that you so tenaciously give. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.